This month's episodes are sponsored by Crossway, publisher of the English Standard Version of the Bible and many helpful Bible resources, such as the ESV Bible with Creeds and Confessions. This resource contains 13 important creeds and confessions from church history placed after the ESV text, including the Apostles' Creed, the Belgic Confession, and the Heidelberg Catechism. With introductions written by Chad Van Dixhorn, you will come away with a better grasp of history and original purpose of each historical articulation of the Christian faith. Available in True Tone, True Tone Overboard, and Premium Goatskin Leather. Learn more at crossway.org. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Well, welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited to interview a guy that I'm just now getting to know. I got a cousin that was a Navy SEAL, and I was talking to my cousin Micah, and he said, hey, you need to talk to this guy, Jared. And he had such a great name, so I thought, boy, he's got to be a great guy. Uh, so I reached out to Jared Hudson, and that's who I'm getting to talk to today. Jared, how you doing, man? Doing good. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing good. I'll let you tell about yourself here in a minute, but why don't we go ahead and pray? I hear that you do this. I, I heard you know your podcast a month and a half ago, and you're the only other podcast I know that starts with prayer. So we're going to do that today, and uh, and then we'll get to know you a little bit. Absolutely. Father, I thank you for a, for a brother, and I thank you for this man's life and all that he's done for our country and our world, for his family. And uh, Lord, I, I just ask that you would lead this discussion. I'm excited to learn from him. And for everybody that's listening in, I pray that they would just be challenged. And, uh, and Lord, that you would help them to just be better men, better pastors, most importantly, just better Christians and, and better husbands and fathers. And so just lead this discussion. I trust that you will. Uh, thank you for Jared. And uh, just point us big spotlight on Jesus, as I always ask. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, man. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and what it is that you do. I know you wear multiple hats, but we'll get a little bit of your background. I'd love to get a little bit of your background as well. And then I'll give you an opportunity to give a shout out to the Shooting Institute and all the stuff that you're doing now. But who you are, what should, uh, yeah. tell us about your family and then what it is that you do. Yeah, so my name is Jared Hudson and um, I'm from Alabama. I was actually born in Virginia, but you know we grew up in Alabama. That's where uh, my mom's side of the family's from. Um, uh, my dad's a, a pastor, Southern Baptist pastor. Uh, although a lot with what's going on now with the Southern Baptist Convention and some of the way people are going, he's he's really rethinking his allegiance to that. But either way, he's a you know relatively conservative pastor pastor I should say, and uh, grew up in a Christian home. I'm married. Uh, my wife Lauren. I've got two little girls, Ansley and Everly. Uh, Everly's the oldest, and Ansley's the youngest. They're both four and two. And uh, you know, was a Navy SEAL for. Uh, Really, eight. I was eight years technically, but uh, but I got you know sort of med retired out. That's a whole long story. I was diagnosed with type one diabetes, and they linked it to the anthrax vaccine. So there was an out process oh, wow. on a medical beat, you know, back in two thousand and uh, really two thousand thirteen is when that started. So uh, got out of the SEAL teams, became a law enforcement officer, worked that for a little while, and then started started my company, the Shooting Institute, and started contracting. Uh, to different entities, different groups, different countries, and then also obviously uh, our government. And uh, then, then got it worked up to where we're a prime contractor. Now we do 
uh, training for both military, all branches of the, of the military, We've trained all branches, Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines, in firearms, explosives, tactics. And we do the same thing for law enforcement agencies. And now, because of the current state of affairs, we do, you know, quite a bit with civilians, um, especially on okay. the gun sales, ammunition sales side, all that stuff. So that's what I do now. I spend most of my time uh, either training, running security, or uh, <laughs> acting as a salesman. So Okay. So uh, that's stay, definitely staying busy. I guess if you're a former Navy SEAL, you kind of have to stay busy after that to not, you know, feel too, you don't, you don't want something sedentary and just sitting there doing nothing. So, I mean, right. it seems like you'd have to stay busy doing something. Um, oh yeah. I can't stand the office. It's a terrible place. Now I've been following online. Why don't you tell a little bit about the shooting Institute and we got a lot of pastors listening in and some of your material, even your podcast could be transferable to like church security and stuff like that. And, and why don't you kind of tell them, tell us a little bit about, bit more about the shooting institute and, and what what guys can learn from following you yeah well i mean it's you know the shooting institute's exactly that i mean you know we we originally started it just for side money you know just kind of a side hustle teaching pistol classes to women and guys or whatever and then it just kind of morphed into what it is now but um the shooting institute's mainly that you know our big thing is uh security protection and how do you do say with a, with a firearm, with a gun and, and, you know, exercising your second limit, right. Whether it be, you know, as a church security team or whether it be as a Navy SEAL, or whether it be as a law enforcement officer, uh, understanding how to use that weapon system, being comfortable with that weapon system and being able to employ it in a situation. So you're not really, you know, putting your, you're not putting yourself in an unnecessary risk or anybody else in an unnecessary risk because we do live in a country that's not like anywhere else in the world where, you know, literally you can, you know, even in some of the, some of the most regulated states, you can get a gun, you can have a gun and it might not be good. You saw the folks in Missouri that, that, you know, everybody, you got all these armchair quarterbacks talking about how unsafe they were protecting their house and right. what they had a gun, they protected their house. And that's what the second Amendment's about. So for us, it's taking people like that who, you know, want to use their second amendment abilities to protect themselves or protect the property and, uh, or protect their church and teach folks how to use it. So it's not just, um, you know, government entities that know how to use those websites. Cause oftentimes, you know, we do a lot of training for the government and they're pretty terrible too. You know, mm. oftentimes they're worse than okay. some of civilian shooters. So that's really what we do in a nutshell. Awesome. Um, okay. So I mentioned it in the intro, but Micah is our connection. Micah Cantley grew up with him. It's been so cool to see him from, you know, I'm six years older than him. And so I saw him when he was little, I remember him jumping in the pool at my aunt John and Joyce's house and we would think that he's drowning and sure enough he'd pop up and, and be a big smile on his face and then see him in high school say hey I want to be a Navy SEAL and then actually do it was just something really I mean I was skeptical at first and thought you know Micah come on and uh, and he did it and you served alongside of him so tell me something about Micah Cantley that I wouldn't know otherwise just from growing up with him and and being around him tell me something about Micah that I don't know. I mean, you might know, you know, this via his personality, but it'll just be a funny story. This actually happened outside of the SEAL team. But, you know, he's normally pretty um, – he's a pretty easygoing guy, right? He's, mm -hmm. he's very – and he's kind of dry in his presentation sometimes, I guess, for lack of a better word. Right. Uh, it happened after the SEAL teams. But uh, I, I met Micah. He checked into my platoon. I can't – I guess it was my second, my second platoon at Team 3. He checked in as a, as a new guy. And um, that's how I got to know him in that in that platoon. And uh, so, which wound up being, um, yeah, I got to know him in that platoon. Then he went to another platoon 
on his second and, and my last pump at Team 3. So with all that being said, that's how we got to know each other, was in Bravo Platoon in around 2010. And he called me, and I hadn't, talk, I hadn't talked with him much since, really since I got out of the SEAL teams in 2013, probably would have been the last time that I talked with Mike. Uh, and uh, he calls in and – 17 maybe I guess when he got out 2016 somewhere around that time from me, I said hey man I'm I'm moving to uh I'm looking at moving to Chelsea Alabama or I'm looking at moving or going to school at Sanford and potentially moving to Chelsea Alabama but I'm looking at Chelsea and Hoover at the time I lived in Chelsea I had okay. 50 had 50 acres in Chelsea and we were doing some stuff out there with a the I said hey man and that was about 40 that's probably about 40 miles away from where I grew up I said bro move to Chelsea move to Chelsea he wound up moving maybe three miles away from where I lived. Oh in, man. In our little uh, three acre farm there. And then, you know, we had about 10 miles down the road, had another 50 acres. And he, um, he moved right over there, went over, uh, cut his grass for him one day on the house he decided to get. And so they moved in and uh, he met a buddy of mine, Stuart Hartley. And sometimes you can hear Hartley on the podcast. He doesn't like using his name because uh, uh, you know, he still works in the industry, but uh, okay. He's on, he's on our podcast sometimes and, uh, he's a hilarious dude and he, he's working, he's a big yoke guy, you know, like 240 pounds, six foot two, you know, just big yoked out dude. Uh-huh. He's with him and he, he always would like flex up on guys and walk over and just try to intimidate him. He's just one of those dudes who goose around. Yeah. Uh, so Christian guy though. So he's never, you know, running his mouth hard or anything, but he just loves just acting arrogant, I guess, for, <laughs> for lack of a better right. word. And he sees Michael working out. He says, I see this kid over here working out that's about five foot two, you know, because Mike is short. He's so short, yeah. He's about five foot two, and he's over on the bench. And I'm like, man, that guy, that guy looks like he, he does something. And he goes over, and he said he had, a, you know, he had blue shorts on and kind of a gold shirt. Whatever, and he saw a little tattoo on the inside of his leg. Well, Mike has got a bone frog tattoo on the inside of his leg, which is still someone hardly knew what that was for me. He said, he walked over to him and said, hey, bro, you in the military? And Micah said, Michael looks up and says, yeah, yeah, I was. He goes, what'd you do? And Michael said, I was in the Navy. And Hartley said, that's not what I asked. I asked, what did you do? Uh-huh. Michael said, what do you mean, man? He said, you come in here in these blue shorts with a little bit of gold on it and stuff. You know what you look like. You're a flipping seal? And Michael <laughs> said, yeah. Yeah, I was a seal. And Hartley said, yeah, I saw that bone frog on the side of your legs. He said, uh, good buddy of mine was a seal. Jared Hudson, you know him? And Mike, <laughs> missing a beat, looks at him and says, heck yeah, dude, that dude is the best tech at SEAL Team 3. Harvey <laughs> <So, laughs> said he, it immediately shut him down because he said he, he was like, wanted to run outside screaming, I've been living a lie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's good. I love it. Yeah. Oh, that's good stuff. All right. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here is that I've seen pastors that – and I've just been around pastors. Your dad was a pastor, so you kind of understand pastors a little bit. And we've talked, you know, we had our conversation about, you know, a month ago or so. And and one of the things I see with pastors consistently is that the failures that they walk into in their life in their 30s, and a lot of times it happens around midlife, you know, the late 30s into their 40s, it's just basic life failures. It's just failure to be a Christian man. It's not a massive, you know, stealing money from the church thing. It's just the, the basics of the, the Christian life, spiritual disciplines, uh, just having a resolve and a backbone and, and not being a, 
not being scared to death of people. It's stuff that takes them out. That's just, it comes down to Christian manhood, life with life in Christ. And so one of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, how in your life, the training you've experienced with, with your SEAL experience and now in your professional life, how, how is, I mean, the, from the intensity of that, from the resolve that's required from the problem solving or, or figuring out what's the priority here and what's the night, not the priority here. How has that trained you, your experience and transferred into just your life as a, a Christian husband and father? Well, and I'm uh, looking up a scripture right now so I can get the reference right. Um, as I kind of talk about this, so I apologize if you hear the clicking in the background as That's I look right. for this. The biggest thing that, that I see is, and it's not even, and I did this on an interview with, um, a lady that has a, has a pretty good organization called brother born. And, uh, anyway, she, she had me do an interview before and I said the same thing in this interview. It's not so much that the seal teams or buds creates a certain resolve in an individual. It finds the individual that already has that resolve. Does that make Ooh, sense? That's yeah. so often, you know, and, and which is perfect for us as Christians, because you go all the way back to, what the psalmist says, you're David, so you knew me in my mother's womb, you knit me in, in my mother's womb, right? So you knew me before I was even created. You're the one who put me together. And for me, the reason I think that you see that is, is oftentimes you have guys that are in, we have a culture that allows people to be in positions or places that historically they would not have been in. Mm-hmm. But have a culture that that allows people the, the choice, I guess, to do things that maybe they're not fit to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have plenty of people who are in the military who should never be in the military, who are not okay. warriors. Think of military, you think of warrior. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody in the military has to be a warrior. There are plenty of different jobs, but you have people in those positions that shouldn't be there. You have people in law enforcement positions that should not be in a position of authority in, mm-hmm. in that way. You have um, um, people in uh, church positions, you know, pastoral leadership that shouldn't be in those positions. Right. But we've created a world that has allowed that because um, we've created a world that's, that's generally speaking over the past hundred years been much easier to survive and live, at least here in the United States of America, than it ever has been for, for any amount of time in human history. Mm-hmm. And so I believe that is probably what you're seeing. It's not so much what you learn in the SEAL team or the resolve that they teach you, which there are things that you learn, mm-hmm. but the thing that they do find those individuals who already have that resolve. And then they take that, that that God has already put in and they hone it and they harness it. And then they use it for whatever the specific job is mm-hmm. in this case. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And I think, you know, as I'm, I'm translating that into pastoral ministry, one of the things that, you know, when pressure comes in, in, in life, difficulties, gold is purified in fire. And in pastoral ministry, I think you see, okay, who's called and who's just in this because their dad was in it, their grandpa was in it, their great grandpa was in it, or grandma wanted to be in it. Or they thought, man, yeah. this, is a, this is a path I can take that will get me into an office to be able to read books that I want to read and I can preach, and there's a lot of people in ministry, there's not a lot of careers that will get you as many pats on the back as pastoral work. If you want to get in there and be the slimy, just, you know, kind of guy that just wants the pat on the back. But when the pressure comes, or when it comes to the point where society doesn't accept what God has to say, which is, I mean, always, what ends up being revealed is, huh, you weren't really called to this. 
You know, you, you weren't the man who's qualified according to first Timothy three and Titus chapter one. You are the one according to first Peter five, that's, that's, that's leading for selfish gain. And you end up falling out. It just reveal, it reveals itself, at, you know, after amount of time. Well, and, 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 and you're hitting the nail on the head, especially with what we're seeing nowadays. You know, I mean, look at what does David Platt do? Hey, we're going to keep church shut down, but we're going to go out and march with Black Lives Matter. Isn't that crazy? What in the world's happening, man? Three years I've said this, and now I have buddies calling back up saying, hey, man, look at what Platt's doing. I'm like, yeah. but oftentimes that's what you see. You see men in, men in these positions who are held with a, a, a bit of esteem, and hey, they should be, mm -hmm. right? And they say a lot of good things, and they do a lot of good things, but then all of a sudden, when the rubber meets the road, when the knife is put to somebody's neck, when it's time to go do gangster stuff, what do they not want to do? Yeah. They don't on anything we don't have pastors that are willing to stand on anything we don't have men that are leaders that are willing to stand on anything anything it's why everybody hates donald trump mm -hmm. look at donald trump he's not anything he's never even claimed to be a christian that i know of mm -hmm. but what does he do he stands he makes a statement and he generally stands on it for the most part right that's yeah. what we see people hate it <laughs> we have had, we've had pastors for for years and this is my you know my dad is he mentions from being in ministry he said pastors have generally speaking, been approved of and appreciated for years. And now for the first time, they're facing it. Not, not even, it's not like we're getting our heads cut off from being Christians. Yeah. They're facing a little bit of turmoil, right? A little bit of, you might not be liked if you don't support Black Lives Matter, or if you don't support a homosexual agenda, or if you don't support sex before marriage or whatever it is, right? If you yeah. don't support them in the cultural norm, you might not be liked. And what happens? They start caving to it left and right. Uh, and I, and I don't mind calling names because I don't really care because I know a lot of these guys and, you know, if it offends them, they can give me a, a call. I don't have a problem with that. But, um, actually my growing up great pastor, Steve Gaines, his son, Grant Gaines, a little bit older than me. I don't know if y'all know Steve Gaines out at Bellevue. I know, I know of Steve Gaines. I mean, he was the president of the convention for a while. Yeah. So that's Steve, his son, Grant, a couple years older than me. Um, you know, he recently, I haven't even seen it. Somebody just sent it to me. So what do you think about Grant Gaines statement where he said, if you, Saying black lives matter, saying all lives matter, when somebody says black lives matter is like my wife saying I love you and me saying I love everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a not, but see, the thing is, it sounds witty, it sounds smart, but it's a right. nonsense. It's a yeah. nonsense. It doesn't make sense. It has what is being said logically doesn't follow in the argument that you're trying to make. So you've got these guys that can make witty statements mm -hmm. that's cool to somebody who's not, if you're not really not listening or don't know. But ultimately, it's a non sequitur. And what does it do? Uh, I believe Grant even put out, he said, look, I don't agree with what Black Lives Matter movement stands for. But, and he says that. So it's their way of being accepted mm -hmm. so without actually yeah. having to on anything. And it's problematic. It's problematic in Christianity. It's problematic in, in just regular everyday life. And you see Pilate doing that with Christ. What did Pilate mm -hmm. do? He washed his hands. He was accepted. He said, hey, this man's innocent. I'm clean of his blood. Take him, do with him what you will. Right. You see the same spirit or the same heart that Pilate had, believing that, hey, look, I've done everything I could. I'm not crucifying an innocent man. Right? His wife said, have to do with Jesus. Mm -hmm. But I'm also letting him off scot-free because I don't want the political fallout if with, with what's going on. These people obviously yeah. want to kill him. Washes his hands and believes that lie. So with all that being said, I think it's the same spirit that we see. It's a spirit of fear of basically not being liked. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Liked.
Yeah. And, and here's the thing, man, in pastoral ministry, and I've been in pastoral ministry for 12 years, which for many pastors isn't any amount of time at all. But for other guys, a lot of church planners that I've spent a lot of time with, because I've been in church planning world for since, I mean, in, for 12 years, and there is such pressure. So I'm 36. How old are you, Jared? I'm 35. You're 35. Okay. So, man, in our age, now in the planting world, we're kind of, if you were going to plant, go to plant a church, there'd be a lot of guys younger than you that'd be planting. There's a lot of guys that are older than me that are planting churches. But man, the pressure to be in and this, uh, the Blackout Tuesday deal that happened and with everything that's been going on really ramped up from George Floyd, but back it up even over the last five years, I have seen pastor after pastor cave and there is an inability to think. And I see people who I know know better who are just capitulating to whatever culture says that they need to capitulate to and whatever other pastors are doing, they're just getting right in line. And it's, it's ironic how similar it sounds to everything that's going on in the media and everything that is just the same mantras. It's just the exact same thing. And I have guys that are absolutely terrified to just, man, what does the, what does God have to say about this? And honestly, man, I think the whole trouble with all of this is a functional denial of the authority, the inerrancy, and the sufficiency of Scripture. People just really don't care what God has to say. They would rather exactly what you're saying be liked. Hear what somebody else has to say about the Word, mm -hmm. as, opposed, as opposed to actually reading the Word, again, using David Platt as an example, not a bad one. You, know, you have so many guys, oh, man, did you read that book, Radical, by David Platt? Man, it's amazing. He knows so much. Well, hey, all right, so how many times have you read Scripture mm -hmm. uh, as you read, read Radical? If we really start looking at scripture, we realize a lot of these people that us as men, this is again toward men that emulate manliness or uh, or what we might perceive as manliness, whether it be a Navy SEAL, whether it be William Wallace or whatever, isn't necessarily what it is. Now, there might be attributes of that that's, that's manly, but mm -hmm. what emulates manliness and the scripture is full of it, the scripture shows it. And I'll uh, read this right here. It's the, the, the reference is Jeremiah 29. And this is Jeremiah, the prophet, who suffered greatly. Jeremiah mm -hmm. suffered. And what does uh, he says? I will not mention him or speak his name. This is Jeremiah saying, if I say this, I'm not going to mention God or speak his name. Mm -hmm. uh, in my heart as it were burning like fire shut up in my bones. And I'm weary of holding it in. And I cannot. So what Jeremiah was saying is, is he was sick of being beaten. He was sick of being made fun of. He was sick of being an outcast because everything he was saying was not liked by the, uh, the Israelites, right? The Israeli people. And he, he, de he determined, he told God, he crossed his arms. He said, nope, God, I'm not doing it anymore. But what does he say in Jeremiah 20, verse 9? He says, I cannot hold it in. It's like fire in my bones. Yeah. And if you don't feel that way about well, in our case, the gospel of Christ, or feel that way about what you believe in, it's not misplaced zeal. It's passion for reason. It's passion because it's the truth. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to rock you off the truth. And if you curtail or you cower to that, either one, you don't believe it. Yeah. Or two, you don't have the strength of Christ in your heart, the same strength that picked Gideon up and made him a mighty warrior that hunted mm -hmm. down all of the people that, that were killing the Israelites at the time when he was hiding, right? The Amalekites, I believe, mm -hmm. get, turned him into a mighty warrior. The same God that gave David the heart to stand before Goliath, the same God that gave Jesus Christ the heart to go and conquer sin and death. Yeah. If you don't have that fire in your bones and that, that rising up in your gut to stand for something, one, you don't believe it. 
And two, you probably don't have Christ in your life, and you might want to look at that hard because when you die, he might say, away from me, I never knew you. Mm-hmm. That's what's scary about it. That's what's really concerning me. Yeah, I, I hear you. I think we're being told by everybody to listen. Just listen, listen, especially if you're white. Just listen, listen, shut up and listen. And one of the things that's really clear is when you just begin to listen to God, okay, I'm going to listen to God. How about we just listen to him? Then his word clears big categories here. It clears up the gender, sexuality, confusion, and rebellion really quick. There's male and female. Marriage is between one man and one woman. Any sex outside of that is sinful. It's vile. It's against God. It's, it's really clear. It's really simple. I mean, there's, it's, not, it's not that hard. Uh, the race, reconciliation, and that whole movement, it's a big money movement. It's, it's unbelievable. Even the Southern Baptist Convention is spending millions pumping out to churches everywhere, primarily to white churches, uh, curriculum to make them understand, to finally understand. And it's like, hey, listen, I have the cross of Christ, the image of God, and the cross of Christ. We're united in our humanity across the board. There's one human race, different colors. We're united in our humanity. We're united, we're united in our rebellion, and we're, we're united at the cross of Christ. And if you'll bow your knee at the cross of Christ, you have a brother, a brotherhood that spans, that's global, that's historic, it's into the future. And there's the dividing wall of hostility that's been just completely crashed and, and smashed by Jesus, been destroyed. When you begin to listen to God, things just clear up. And the problem is, I see pastor after pastor, and, and, and it's not necessarily church people yet. I mean, it, that, that definitely is happening. But I see in our church, man, we got faithful people that are just, and, and our elders, it's just, I'm so blessed to be a part of the church I'm a part of and lead the people that I get to lead. But I see pastors all over the country who are just listening to more people than they are to God. And if you just listen to God here, there's just a fear of not being woke. It's just, I can't, I have to be with the in crowd. I have to be. And I see that and it's, it's going to end up decimating our churches. It really is. I mean, the church, the church, Jesus is shepherding. The church is going to continue to march on, but we're going to see apostate after apostate chasing after Baal in the name of being, being liked. And that's it. And you're hitting the nail on the head. And that's what's, that's what's sad to see because for the first time in my life, I mean, I've never, and I'm, I'm from Alabama, I'm from the South, but race has never, I've never noticed, and I hate to even say race, maybe ethnicity, which Bodie Bauckham's got a pretty good message Great. on. Bodie's pretty solid, but oh, yeah. um, the, uh, but, but either way, that's never been anything, you know, to, to me or any of my other friends, doesn't matter if they're black, white, Mexican, whoever they are, it's never been a thing. Yeah. Right? Military, it's never been, a, it was never a thing. We never made a thing about it. Why? Because we're, we're still brothers, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's all we boil down to. Now we might have issues with each other, but it never was about, you know, anything. If I didn't like you mm-hmm. and you were black, black it's because I didn't flip and like you. That's the, you know, right. I mean, it had right. with you as a person, I if I didn't like you and you're white, it's not because you're white, it's because I didn't like you. And that's, I don't get that. Why does it all of a sudden have to be about that? Um, yeah. And then in, in our Christian churches, if if we're standing up there preaching the gospel of Christ, hey, look, it has nothing to do with the white the whitewashing of the Bible, which a lot of people would ask me about that whitewashing of the Bible. I don't even know what that means. Mm-hmm. That's a dumb Right. It is. It's, it, dumb. It, it's the Bible. Do you believe God can keep his word and air it for all the time? Right. If you, then guess what? What you're reading is probably, probably accurate because you go down through most of the translations of the Bible that we have that are, that are reasonable translations, right? And you can, you can Google Bible hub. We'll have them on there. Mm-hmm. And some are virtually the same. There's yeah. not a lot of differences in them. 
there's very few differences when there are. And most of the time, that's just a word translation difference. It doesn't actually change the meaning of the words. God has kept his word pure through all of time. Uh, and, and so when you see that, that should change how we look at it. And you just hit the nail on the head. If we're all truly brothers in Christ, the one thing that holds us together isn't what background we come from. Mm-hmm. It isn't what sex we are. It isn't how old we are. It isn't uh, what our what our ethnicity is. It's simply Christ. It's Christ yeah. and Christ alone. We say about it all the time. Yep. And and, and that's what that's what's extremely bothersome to me. And the, and the last aspect of it is the only ethnicity that truly matters, and, and there's only one reason that it matters, is the fact that Jesus Christ was a Jewish man mm-hmm. that came from Abraham. The reason that that matters is because back in Genesis chapter 22, I believe it was, when God promised Abraham, through you all the families of the world would be blessed. That's mm-hmm. what God promises Abraham in Genesis. And then you see that line. You see what happens. Israelite like people, when you see that line gets to David. David he promises David. Mm-hmm. And let the world be blessed. And you can look in Matthew chapter one, verses one through seventeen, and see that lineage. Mm-hmm. Right, you see lineage from uh, from the beginning all the way to Jesus. Yep. And what does that show us when Jesus is born to Mary, wife of Joseph? What does it show in that lineage? It shows that God's promise supersedes time. It supersedes our lives, and it's what twenty five hundred years, roughly, maybe two mm-hmm. two to three years from from that time all the way to Jesus being born. And it shows that God's promises supersede time. God's promises supersede our lives. And even if we don't see his promise come true in our life, his promise will most certainly come true. And that's why it says Abraham had faith in God and was accounted to him as righteousness. Yeah. That's only ethnic portion of, of or only ethnicity that matters. Everything else says, is, is pointless yeah. because we're Gentile by grace. And then you're, you're Jews saved by grace, right? Mm-hmm. It just, God brought forth salvation to the world through the Jewish people because of a promise he made to Abraham who had the likeness of Noah, who was a righteous man that God chose to deliver, uh, deliver the world through. I mean, it's that simple. Yep. It's good stuff, man. Uh, all right. Well, let's, let's switch gears a little bit and I'm going to say something here that I, I do believe, and I'm going to say I should, <laughs> Why is it important for why is it important for men and pastors in particular? Why should they get in st- get in shape or stay in shape, physically fit? Why is that important? Well, I mean, you know, uh, what's it was I think it's Paul that says, you know, that uh that physical fitness or physical training is good for little, right? That's what mm-hmm. he says. He doesn't say it's good for a lot, but he does say it's good for little. It's at least important enough to mention. Mm-hmm. You know, physical right. Um, but you know, you know, godliness and spiritual stuff is good for everything. So it should never supersede what we're doing spiritually, Mm -hmm. right? That that is above and beyond everything. But the reason physical fitness is good, or at least some bit of of shape, and what I'm saying, you know, you don't have to be a CrossFit God, you don't have to be a Navy SEAL, Mm -hmm. um, or or anything like that, but you at least need to keep yourself in check. So it's not like you don't feel like you're having a heart attack every time you step out of your vehicle Mm with the perception of others right one for the perception how you're perceived by others because uh how many times do we hear well well you know pastor you preach on everything but gluttony i can't tell you how many times i've heard that you know preachers the size of a house um uh, well that's 
you're, you're always going to have that. You're always going to have somebody doing that. But I think that's important. One, it, it is uh, you're showing yourself worthy of your calling, right? It doesn't give you know, if uh, it's that whole, if, if it offends my brother to eat meat, then I won't eat meat. Mm-hmm. Something that, you know, if people see you pastor out there fat as a house, you know, that that is going to deter them from maybe listening to the gospel of Christ. But that's not everything. And I would say probably the most important thing is the simple fact that he says that your body's the temple of, of the, uh, of Christ, your body's temple of Christ. That's where the Holy spirit dwells and you want to take care of that body, whatever God gave you, however it is your yeah. car. Are you going to, are you going to trash your car out? Am I going to put, you know, I've got a diesel truck. Am I going to go put, you know, crappy like find a gas station with crappy diesel in my truck no because it's going to tear it up it's going to have water in it it's going to rust the tank out you know do all that stuff for anybody that drives the diesel you know what i'm talking about are you going to put um um water in your gas tank you know no you're not you you take care of your car as much as you can well our bodies are worth so much more than our vehicles yeah why would good i do at least take care of those so i would say that's that's probably more the reason i believe it it honors god taking care of what he gave us yeah Man, that's good. And I think it's incredibly balanced as well. Uh, not everybody is going to be, what was it, the, the Murph challenge I saw this year? And, and I think I saw when I first started following you that you did the Murph challenge and uh, it was like an under 40 minutes is the goal. Is that right? Well, I don't know what the goal. I just know that I've always done them under 40 minutes. So I try not to, the older I get, I try to stay under yeah. 40. Yeah, I'm getting closer and closer to 40 the older I get. So <laughs> I told Jordan, my wife's name is Jordan. I, I said, you know, baby, I'd like to get in. I'd like to get in a little bit better shape. I've always been a runner. Running requires no discipline for me. I just enjoy it. It's just a part of my life. And it's been a part of my life for, I mean, close to 20 or 15 years. But, um, but maintaining discipline with physical fitness and strength training has been a difficulty for me. And so I got a, a pull-up bar and I, I, I've been doing just crushing pull-ups for and then I haven't done a pull up in three months. And so I keep running, but I, but I just got to a good place and then just dropped it. And so um, it's, it's right that not everybody is going to be a machine, but yeah. taking yeah. care of what God has given us is a priority. It could be as simple as walking. I mean, yeah. that might be, too, you know, it's good. It physically active. Well, okay. I got a couple more questions for you. We'll, we'll narrow it down to two. Uh, I'd heard you say this. I talked to Micah a little bit about this, but in ministry, just like life as a Christian man, sometimes it can be a difficult process to figure out what my priorities are. And if your wife is like mine, she's probably told you like, honey, you're here, but you're not all here. Where are you? You know, wake up. Okay. Uh, Where are you at? What are you thinking about? Um, And so I've got to be present and I've got to work on seeing what's right in front of me. And priorities for me in life and ministry have been really helpful to put them down on paper to be able to identify this is what I need to be doing. And so I've got these seven pastoral priorities that, that come straight from the scriptures. What is, what has God commanded pastoral ministry to be? Who is a man, who is a pastor to be? And what is a man in pastoral ministry to do? And in, in your life, how have you prioritized? I've heard you throw around the, the, the phrase, simplify the chaos or something to that effect. How do you prioritize and maybe how the military trained you in that, that, that you're able to say, this is a priority and this is not a priority and then go after what you need to do. Right. No, I mean, that's, you know, and again, I, that would be, it's some of it's a personality thing. A lot of, a lot, some people personality wise are better at being able to boom, 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 prioritize. So don't think I'm talking about necessarily being good at organizing and prioritizing what I'm going to do and go down your checklist. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of 
ain't good at that. I'm not one of the <laughs> me neither. But in the in the military and then now owning a business, what I've realized is is oftentimes what seems the hard part for me is what seems rude to somebody or what seems, you know, off-putting to some people because yeah, maybe I don't give them the time of day that they want. Um, look, I, I have things I have to get done. We see Jesus doing this um, as he's he's on a mission. He's set to go somewhere, and the, and, and a woman comes up to him and uh, asks for healing. Basically, he said, should I give the children's food to the dogs? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And he said, woman, faith like this, I haven't seen in all of Jerusalem. Go, let it be done as you wish, right? You know, you're healed. Mm-hmm. But you, but what is Jesus's response? Because see, for us, if we look at that, we're like, "Holy crap, this guy's an a-hole." I mean, it sounds like a book of response, yeah, but it's not. Why? Because he was about his father's work. It's the same thing when Jesus tells his mother when he's a little boy, "Mama, don't you know I should be in my father's house?" Mm-hmm. We're like, "If I said that to my mama, <laughs> she'd have busted me across the mouth with a bell." Mm-hmm. Right? It's not. It it wasn't his. Even as a young little boy, as a 12, 13-year-old boy when he got lost, however old he was, uh, or when they lost him, it's not so much the attitude of I'm better than you, um, I'm being arrogant or ignorant, uh, or not ignorant, more just arrogant towards you. It's more of, no, these are the things that I have I have to do, and I can't be deterred from them, whether it's my family deter me from them, my friends, uh, or my own selfish desires. Mm-hmm. Going, going all the way back to Jeremiah 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 9, what does Jeremiah say? I have I've decided I will not say another word. Why? Because he's, getting, he's physically being beaten in prison for it. That's why. It wasn't because he wasn't. They were beating the piss out of him and putting him in prison. Mm-hmm. And so what did he say? But I can't keep it in. And I would say that's how you lay things out, those priorities laid out. What are those things that, you, that God has called you to do? Mm-hmm. I know. I know. As a husband, it's to be a husband to my wife. I know. As a father, it's to be a father to my kids. Not in the way we might think, where I'm going to take them on vacation and do this. Those are all great things. Right. But to lead them to Christ. Amen. Because centurion, he believed, and then the rest of his household was saved. Mm-hmm. Right. So God changes the household through the man more often than the woman. We can see this story is uh, more recently with uh, 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 what's Kim Kardashian the husband. Um, oh, uh, Kanye. Yeah, Kanye West. We see the story more recently with Kanye West, and then hearing how Kim was responding, and from what I hear, she was saved. Hmm. More, you see a you see a man who is about the things that God has for him, and you'll see a family that naturally follows. That's your first hmm. calling. If you're a husband or you're a or you're a father, mm-hmm. your calling is then whatever that profession is, that sphere of influence. If you're a pastor, then that's your calling. Your church, your people. Yeah. Me, it's the it's what I do in my in my business and the people I deal with with there, and then you know you can go down the list. Your third, your fourth. So prioritizing those callings where you're at in your life. For me, first and foremost, husband and dad. First and foremost, yep. and if I'm in the needs of my family, not so much what they want, but their needs in Christ, then I'm then then all of my priorities. Nothing else is going to happen. Nothing mm-hmm. else is going. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, but. it does. It does. It's helpful. Yeah. And I think for everybody out there being able to nail down as you're, you're listening and you're evaluating your life, there are things in your life that are in the peripheral that you may be in the periphery that you're, you're bringing too close to the center and giving too much time and energy and thought to that can be put to the side 
to where you're giving the best of yourself to what is the, the greatest priority. And so I want to be given the best of myself, the best critical thinking I have. I don't want to give away to people outside of my home. And not, not that I bring my B, 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 B game to what my calling is outside of the home, but I want to give the best of myself to, to what I'm called to uh, in the home. And, uh, and so, man, that's, that's incredibly helpful. Okay, so I ask everybody this when I interview them. Last question I ask everybody is, hey, you know, Jared, tell me why, and I just set people up to praise the grace of Jesus here. So, I mean, this is, this is a setup. It's like put on the tee for you uh, to praise God for his grace. Jared, why do you love Jesus so much? Oh, God, man. Well, I mean, I, well, I mean what's, the, what's the verse my, my daughter memorized? You know, uh, it's, in, it's in John. Uh, we love him because he first loved us, right? Yeah. What is the, what's the scripture reference? Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, no, you got Yeah, I don't know it off the top of my head. I know the passage, but I don't know the reference. Maybe John three eighteen, but that's my wife does it with my daughter, you know, regularly, and that's what she we love because he first loved us. That's what she yeah. says, and that's I would say that's it, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, short of the short of the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace and the and, and everything that He's given us, short of that, I would be a uh, there's no telling what I'd be. I'd probably be a serial killer or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, he, he, you know, that that's what makes you that's what makes you love. You know, yeah. anything. Christ is is truly hate. It really is, and we see that happening right now in our world. We do. Uh, yeah. So I would say the reason I love Jesus so much is because He made me that way. He because He changed me to be that way when He came to my heart. That's good. Praise God. Can't love. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. All right, if people have enjoyed this, uh, hearing from you, where can they go? Tell us your Twitter handle or your Instagram handle, your website. Tell us that information. I'll put it in the show notes as well, but where can, where can people find more of your stuff? Yeah, so we have uh, – I don't have any, like, personal um, pages. We have the Shooting Institute on Facebook, the Shooting Institute on uh, uh, Instagram, so you can see some more stuff. We have a website, theshootinginstitute.com. We have a podcast. Uh, I think it's called this. I think it's simplify the chaos podcast. It's TSI, the shooting Institute, simplify the chaos podcast. Um, so y'all can go to any of those things um, and, and kind of track with who we are and then just click the websites. The easiest way, the shooting Institute.com, and it'll have at the bottom all the little icons you can click uh, to go to any of the things you want to go and follow. Awesome. Well, Jared, thanks so much, man. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you, Jared. And hang on to that great name. Do it honor. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.